Revelation chapter 6. You'll remember that we've been studying the book of Revelation. The outline and the key to understanding Revelation is found in chapter 1, verse 19, when Jesus said to John, write the things you have seen. That's the vision of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. Number 2, write the things which are. Chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches, which represents the the church age. We're in the age of the church, the age of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is divided, the Bible history is divided into eight divisions. Division number one, the period of beginnings. Number two, the period of national infancy, the call of Moses and the book of Exodus and so on. Number three, the monarchy, the period of the monarchy, the kings of Saul and David and Jeroboam and all the others. And then number four, the period of captivity and restoration. This is the awful doom that came as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and others. And then the restoration. And they came back to the land of Palestine and had uh, the temple for a little while longer. And then the interbiblical period which lasted 400 years from the time of Malachi to the time of, of John the Baptist or the life of Christ. And in the interbiblical period, we have Demosthenes and Aristotle and the Maccabeans and all the others. Alexander the Great, all of those fit into that interbiblical period between the Old and the New Testament. Then the sixth period is the life of Christ. The life of Christ lasting only about 30 years, maybe 33 years. Following that, the church age. So far, that church age has lasted nearly 2,000 years. We do not know when it will end, but we have hints of it because the churches of chapters two and three are representatives of what the various ages of the church will be like. The church at Ephesus left its first love. During the early Christian movement, they left their first love. The church at Smyrna, the church under persecution. For 300 years, it was against the law to be a Christian. And then the, the church at Pergamos and Thyatira, false doctrine, false living. The church at Sardis, representing the church that had a name that it was alive, but it was really dead. This has to do with the Protestant Reformation under Luther and Zwingli and John Knox and so on. Now those were great men. We'll never, never be able to thank God enough for those men who recognized the abuses of the Roman church and came out of it. But they were so involved with doctrine that they forgot their mission. They forgot missions. And for several hundred years, there was no real mission activity. And then the modern mission movement identified in the scripture under the Philadelphia church. William Carey was one of those early men, a Baptist. He wanted to carry the gospel to Burma, to India. And the general opinion at that time was if God wants to save the heathen, he can do it without your help or mine. You know, there are a lot of modern Christians that think that same way.
God wants to reach people on, on uh, Broadway or on McElroy or over on uh, some street in this city. He can do it without your help or mine. So we don't, don't go after him. Thank God for the band that go out on Thursdays and Saturdays every week to knock on doors and urge people to come. I think of those five or six professions last Sunday, those little kids that came from the children's church, they came on the bus. And our bus pastors went out and brought them in. This was the Philadelphia period. And then the last period before the coming of Christ is the Laodicean period when the church will be neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. And many believe we're in that period right now. And if that be true, his coming is near. Look up, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Then we come to chapter six. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's a series, scenes set in heaven and scenes set on the earth. Already in chapter one, we have the scene set in heaven, the vision of the glorified Christ. Then we came back to earth in chapters two and three and saw the church age. Then in chapter four and five, the scene was set in heaven again, and we heard the songs they sing in heaven. We closed that out the other night. In chapter six, we come back to earth and we see in quick panoramic fashion the things that will happen when Antichrist begins to rule in the awful tribulation period in the earth. Let's look at that for a moment. There are 17 verses, and I want to read those 17 verses. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, these are called the seal judgments. There are three sets of judgments, the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, and the vile judgments. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Now these four beasts are the four cherubs or seraphs that surround the throne of God and sing holy, holy, holy to the Lord God. Someone suggested in our workers meeting tonight that they may represent the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's something to think about. Look in verse two. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Some have thought this was the reign of Christ. If you'll hold your finger there and turn to chapter 19 and look at verse 11, you'll see a very similar verse, but with a marked difference. Chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, 
and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. Now let's go back to chapter 6 and see the difference. In chapter 6, verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Now no arrow. That's very striking, very important. A crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering to conquer. Now do you know what that says? What he's going to conquer has been given to him, either by vote or by the will of the people. You and I who preach the gospel, who witness the gospel, are in a war. We're in a battle, a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil puts up resistance every mile of the way. Here we have the white horse coming and there is given him a crown. And he has a bowl, no war. He's a man of peace. Oh, you say that must be the Christ. No, no, it's not the Christ, it's the Antichrist. You see, if our world can ever find somebody that could figure out how to take care of the world's problems, we'd elect him president of the world. That's what the Antichrist will do. He's going to promise peace, peace when there is no peace. He will be given the kingdom. He won't fight for it. We've seen a little bit of that happen in our world recently. Who brought Hitler to power? Did he come in and take over with armies and guns and so on? No, he was elected. He was elected. We've seen a little bit of something like that going on in America. With somebody that had no morals, no understanding of spiritual truths at all, and promising all kinds of things, and we gave him an important office. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to take over without a war. But now wait a minute. Look at the next seal. Verse 3. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now, after the Antichrist is ruling, he's been given the kingdom, he's in charge of the world, a time of peace, you're going to recognize what he really is. He's a terrible, ruthless man of war. Do you know during the early years of Hitler's regime, he got the churches to back him? In his political campaign, he had a picture of himself by a church. And many, there were many Christians in, in Germany that voted for Hitler. Now, the spiritually discerning people didn't. I've read a book recently on the, uh, the Red Triangle. And uh, it told how God's discerning preachers, 
that believed the Bible took a stand against Hitler, but they were quieted, they were arrested, they were tortured, many of them were killed. America never heard of that. We didn't know it was going on. And during this period, Hitler was arranging to kill all the Jews. Now there are some people, some places that deny the Holocaust. I'm grateful that our people that are in Washington the other day had the opportunity to go through the Holocaust Museum and to see firsthand the atrocities of that awful place. And the Christians at first didn't raise their hand against what Hitler was doing with the Jews. They pretended like they didn't know it or didn't hear about it. And then when they came after the Christians, there was nobody to raise a voice. Listen, folks, we may face the same thing. Maybe not yet. God has given us a reprieve. Now, not all of us look at it the same way. And I'm not being political tonight. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Roosevelt Democrat. But what we've done the last eight years is a shame to America. And you may not see it that way. I love you. But that's what happened in Hitler's Germany. And God has given us a little retrieve, a man that has some kind of convictions, maybe not as much as we'd like, but some kind of convictions. Thank God for that. In this terrible time of tribulation, the Antichrist will rise to power in a, a time of peace. He's going to promise the world peace. And there will be peace until he gets firmly entrenched and then he'll turn all the forces of hell against each other in our world. That's what this verse is saying. You may read it some other way. There are some who read verse one, verse two as saying that's Christ and he's riding with a white horse and he's gonna make war and have terrible war in the world. I don't believe that. This is talking about the Antichrist. Look in verse three, he opened the second seal. I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another. There was given unto him a great sword. Look at verse 5. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and wine. You know what that's saying? There's going to be a terrible famine but the rich will be okay, but the poor are gonna suffer unbelievably. I don't know how you classify yourself tonight, rich or poor. We're, by the world's standards, I heard, a, I heard a commentator the other day on the radio say that in some parts of the world, they live on $1 a year. In another place, they live on $80 a year. We know nothing of that at all the poorest people in America have welfare and food stamps and uh, certain kinds of, what do you call them, housing allowances and so on. America doesn't know anything about that yet. 
But you wait till the Antichrist takes over in our world. And when, when America makes unholy alliances with unholy people, we're heading for trouble. I'm thankful that our president refused that global agreement about warming and so on. And uh, uh, they want us to do away with all of our cars, our automobiles, because it's causing so much emissions and stuff to go out, and they say that's causing world warming. You figure it all out. I think that's a deceit of the devil. Verse 7. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And when it opened the fifth seal, I heard, the, I heard under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now our time is up, but listen. What this is saying right here is that during this awful period there are going to be believers who will be killed for their faith. Now you're reading, some, some of you have been reading Left Behind series by LaHaye. I appreciate what he's doing. And he's... he's He's bringing to people's minds some things about the tribulation period, but I think there's one place he's wrong. I believe a people have heard the gospel during the gospel age, during the church age, and they've rejected it. They say no to Christ, that when the tribulation comes and the rule of the Antichrist, they can't be saved. They'll believe a lie. They won't be saved. And these are the ones that get saved during the tribulation under the witness of the 144,000 and the two witnesses. And we'll read about that as we go through Revelation. And thousands of people get saved, but they'll give their lives for their salvation. We don't have to do that right now. You can walk down this aisle and confess Christ as your Savior and be all right in America, but there's going to be a day when it'll be against the law to do that. In Yemen today, it's like that. In Saudi Arabia, it's like that. In other places of the world, if you confess Christ as your Savior, you can be arrested, you can be tried and put on trial and, and given the death sentence if you don't recant Christ. That's what it's going to be like worldwide during the awful tribulation period. And these souls that are slain are under the altar crying out, Oh Lord, how long? How long? We'll start there next time. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God that is so quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh God, give us a glimpse of the glory we have now and the thrill and the joy of open witnessing for the Lord and the tragic times that are yet to come, the times of Jacob's trouble for the Jews and times of world tribulation for everyone. And tonight, Lord, light a fire in my heart and all of our hearts to go out and try to win as many to Christ as possible. Give them the gospel. Tell them that they can be liberated from sin in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. What are we going to sing?